Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek, and very excited to have with me this week, Lisa Lacey, a staff writer here at Adweek, who covers retail, Amazon, all things online shopping. Uh, so great to have you back. Well, thanks for having me. And you are on the cover of Adweek uh, this week, uh, <laughs> with a, a great story on how Amazon is uh, uh, is approaching private label, how it's done it in the past, basically making its own version of products and then competing with the very people who use its site <laughs> to sell stuff uh, and uh, some creating some really interesting conflicts. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about it today. So congratulations on uh, landing a huge cover story. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, it uh, it was in the works for a while and sort of grew and grew and grew because I feel like everything with Amazon, once you start pulling at threads, it you realize just how incredibly complicated it is. Well, great. Well, we are going to dig into that story and some of the trends and lessons that uh, Lisa learned along the way from it. Uh, first, I just wanted to thank everyone who turned out for our Elevate Creativity event in New York City uh, just a few days ago as I record this. It was just a wonderful event. It's my favorite event that we do here at Adweek all year. Uh, it's a one-day creative conference, tons of speakers, great turnout. I had several people come up to me and mention that they are listeners to the podcast uh, and and it's just, I love hearing that. I love meeting everybody. Uh, so really wonderful experience. And uh, yeah, just big thanks to everyone who made time to come out there for a full day. And it was uh, super insightful. We will do it again next year. So uh, keep, an, keep an ear out around this time next year for our next Elevate Creativity event. And with that, let's get to it. So, Lisa, tell us first, why did you decide to tackle this story? It's not like it's breaking news in the sense this is something Amazon is just starting to do. But what is it about this trend that made you think, you know, this is something we should really dig into? Well, it was there was a study a couple of weeks back that got pretty widespread coverage that found that uh, of that Gartner estimates there's 120 private label brands that are Amazon specifically now. Amazon doesn't uh, disclose how many exactly that it has, but so for using Gartner's estimate, it's about 120, and um, 
So anyway, this study, uh, not from Gartner, from I think Marketplace Pulse, said that the private label brands with Amazon in the name, Amazon Basics, Amazon Essentials, they're doing really well. All of the other uh, private label brands from Amazon are not doing very well. And so I thought, you know, hmm, that's curious. Amazon seems to be this, I hate to say 800-pound gorilla, but that's the only thing that comes to mind right this red-hot minute. Uh, And so sort of why were they struggling? with these other brands. And then, uh, like I said, as, as soon as I sort of started pulling that thread, I realized how it's much more complicated than that. And I mean, above and beyond just those 120 brands, there are third-party sellers and they all have their own brands. And so there's a distinction between those two worlds. And uh, well, I, I, I could go on, but maybe this is a good place to stop and, and see uh, if, you, if you have some follow-ups to sort of guide where I go from here. Well, let's take a step back and talk about some of the terms we're going to be using. Uh, when we say private label, uh, you know, I, I think most people will probably recognize these, even if you're not active in the kind of branding and retail space. Uh, you may think about store brands. Uh, you know, we have Publix where I live, uh, but, you know, whether it's Walmart, just about anybody these days uh, is going to sell their own versions of products. And sometimes it's very clearly labeled as like Publix brand uh, you know, aluminum foil. Uh, some, to your point, are a little more, uh, you know, fluffy with their names and may give it, you know, it's like uh, give it an umbrella name that doesn't imply uh, this is Target brand this or whatever. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, to your point about which of those is really better. I think uh, as I think one place I'd like to start is, you know, it's just from the consumer perspective that when I shop on Amazon, uh, I've always been a little reluctant to buy from third-party sellers if I can avoid it, uh, which is seems like they're kind of the bread and butter uh, of Amazon. But but as a consumer, it's like if I see, okay, this is quote-unquote from Amazon, or if I see this is coming from, you know, if I'm buying Oreos from Oreo and not from, you know, onlinepantry.com or whatever, uh, then those those two options generally feel safer to me. I mean, are those are those kind of the three options, or is, is a lot of this just optics on, on how it's labeled? Um, no, I mean, if you uh, read Jeff Bezos's uh, 2018 shareholder letter, which came out earlier this year, he said something about I think it was 58 percent of total sales come from these third party sellers, uh, and I he used sort of the unfortunate phrase that they were uh, third party sellers are kicking our first party butt. Um, so, but to be fair, that's not just private label stuff from the third party sellers. And Amazon is very, very clear that uh, only 1% of their sales are from private label products. So, or it's its own private label products. Um, but I, I've, and some of the sellers that I talked to said that uh, people don't always realize that they're buying from third party sellers, especially with the fulfillment by Amazon program, which Amazon is, according to these sellers, uh, pushes very heavily because Amazon has more faith in itself to provide that good user experience in terms of, uh, of, of shipping your orders out. Uh, but that's, again, where it gets very complicated because, uh, you know, these sellers are, are paying a fee to Amazon to be on the site. They're paying a fee to have their stuff in the warehouses. They're paying a fee if uh, their stuff is in the warehouses for too long and they're, and they're paying for the, the fulfillment by Amazon option, if I haven't mentioned that already. So uh, it, when the CFO said on the Q1 earnings call that, 
he didn't care. Amazon didn't care who sells it as long as they're delivering on those price selection convenience goals. I wasn't sure I believed it, but the sellers all insisted that they they believed that that he was true to his word. And uh, and I guess I mean I you know Amazon is making money either way. So I guess I I guess I can see maybe that he wasn't just. Full of baloney. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Amazon obviously wins no matter what. The house always wins. So <laughs> let's talk about how these Amazon private label products get made. Uh, you know, as as people can probably guess, you know, if if a bunch of companies are selling tennis balls on Amazon, uh, you know, as third party companies, and then Amazon starts to notice this data, saying, yeah, a lot of tennis balls being sold. Maybe we should have Amazon tennis balls. Uh, you know, I guess A is that accurate? Then B, how often are these the same tennis balls that you'd be buying from the company that was already selling them? Well, from the people that I talk to, it's it's a lot of manufacturers that make the name brand tennis balls or whatever it is are also manufacturing uh, these private label products. Amazon, of course, won't say anything about who exactly is, is manufacturing their private label goods. But, um, I mean, it's been fairly widely reported that Kimberly Clark is the brand behind its Mama Bear diapers. Uh, and, you know, one of the guys I was talking to said that, I mean, that's the thing. If you are a bestseller or, you know, a brand selling directly on the site and uh, your diapers are doing well, um, it, Amazon comes to you and says, hey, we're, we want to private label some diapers. You, uh, you want to make them for us? And if you say no, and that's so it's like this sort of, uh, you know, you got to decide, I guess, what is the lesser evil, whether you want to team up with Amazon and do this so that, you know, it may not be uh, Huggies in every listing. That's Kimberly Clark does Huggies. Uh, but they can own more of the search real estate. So with between Mama Bear and Huggies, they've got a lot of those search results. Uh, or, you know, you say, no, I don't want to make diapers that are competing with my name brand diapers. But then Amazon goes to your competitor and your competitor gets more of those uh, listings in uh, the search rankings. And so, uh, I mean, one guy I talked to said that he knew a couple of manufacturers who had decided to say no. Uh, I really wanted to talk to them. I don't think they're ready <laughs> to share their stories yet, but I think that would be uh, an interesting perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me a lot of the stories that came out over the last, honestly, few decades about Walmart, right? Like, so Walmart's a little different. Uh, in the sense that there's no equivalent of third-party sellers. But, you know, Walmart famously would go to the brands that were selling its products there and say, we want you to lower your price 10%. And then they would also say, oh, and by the way, we're rolling out a Walmart brand version of these same garbage bags you make, uh, and they're going to be 10% less than that, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, on the one hand, you are, for a lot of these products, someone like Walmart, and I'm sure now Amazon, is where they sell a massive amount of their product. Uh, so it's like you are relying on someone who is also your competitor uh, to make sales. I mean, is that is that how they see it? Is And is basically that it's like half... We owe our lifeblood to these people, but also they are our biggest competitor. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was trying to come up with the best analogy, and it, and it was really hard. Like, it isn't – they aren't strange bedfellows. Uh, I mean, I think in the story I, I ultimately used, uh, it was like the field of – 
uh, all the Democratic candidates for the the nomination uh, for the 2020 election. It's like they all sort of—I mean, they're competing with each other, but they all kind of have a vested interest in each other's success. And um, so, you know, uh, Amazon gets fees from all these third-party sellers. I mean, I, I don't know whether they would prefer that their own goods get sold over these third-party sellers, but— you know, and another thing I thought was interesting was there was a some point in my conversations with all of these third-party sellers where they all sort of freaked out a little bit and wanted to make sure that I understood how grateful they are to Amazon because Amazon gives them access to this huge audience and has all of these tools and um, and I mean, Jeff Bezos, I think, also sort of patted himself on the back for all of the uh, best, I hate to say best in breed, but again, it's the only thing I can think of, like, you know, these industry-leading solutions that Amazon has come up with for its third-party sellers. He really sort of um, knocked eBay in that letter, too, and and said, you know, one of the reasons why they're so successful is because they have these, these better tools. So it just – it is a very – uh, it's a it's a very strange relationship, and especially when then Amazon is using some kind of data. They they say they're not using individual data, but nobody seems to believe that they're not using any data uh, to sort of, as, as one of the sellers I, I talked to said, you know, if they decided to come in and make the same thing that you're selling, like you, they can totally forget. It wasn't squash. It Was it annihilate you? It was something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the amount of control that Amazon has here, you know, to your point about people being so clear with you about uh, please make sure that they hear I kiss the ring you know and then it's it's like they i mean i remember you know again like we were talking about with walmart there was famously i, I believe it was rubbermaid tried saying no you know they tried saying we've hit a limit of how low we can go on our prices uh and for a year they didn't sell through walmart and it was like catastrophic for them for sales and that that you know again that's just one retailer we're talking amazon at a much larger scale that the you know they own the whole thing so they can they can kick you out they can suppress you uh do we have any uh you know any word or evidence of of Amazon actually you know pulling the trigger and retaliating on people who say no or do or is it just more like you're going to slowly lose visibility you know it's like you might not necessarily get kicked out of the club altogether but they're going to keep nudging their products a little higher and they're they're going to suppress you anyway if you if you choose not to play along I mean, I think there's definitely some at least suspicion that it's it's definitely using its its own tools to its advantage and and perhaps, you know, ranking its own products higher or using its own ad products on competing items. I feel like batteries is an example that comes up a lot with with their Amazon Basics batteries being adverse. But don't quote me on that. I may be I may be butchering that a little bit, but you know, something where an Amazon product is advertised uh, like above a brand name product. But what really, I mean, I think the other most interesting thing are, uh, that to come out of all of my conversations was, I mean, really among the third party sellers themselves, it's like, it's ruthless. And they're like, they, one of the guys who only 
would refer to himself as Eric because he was afraid of retaliation uh, from Amazon. And also, you know, they don't want to give any intel to any of their competitors because if, if a competitor knows something that – or another seller knows that you're selling something that's doing well, they'll copy it. And so there's, you know, fake one-star reviews. There's uh, reporting – uh, you to Amazon for selling like counterfeit products. So Amazon delists you and then you have to like jump through all these hoops to prove that you don't have counterfeit products. Uh, and they even said there was something like a loophole at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. So it's easy to change the address on patents. And so you can do that and then just like hijack somebody's patent. And so uh, I think Eric said that they sort of operate by this don't ask, don't tell philosophy uh, because it's just it is so just viciously competitive even among the third-party sellers themselves. So, so where do brands fit in all this? I mean, I, we talk when we talk about direct e-commerce, direct e-retail, where it's again to go back to Oreos. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure you know they would rather we be buying from Oreo.com. You know, obviously, because then they make the most money. They they don't have to ship their cookies into a grocery store. They don't have to go through a third-party reseller. Our brands. Moving into Amazon and using that as a direct or quasi direct space, or kind of what's the what's the brand perspective right now of who are making consumer packaged goods? You know, what's their perspective on Amazon? Um, well, it, Diana Pearl, I think a couple weeks ago, did a story about a direct to consumer cereal company, and uh, in our editorial meeting, uh, Stephanie Patrick uh, sort of joked, like, you know, eventually, are we going to be have like have to buy every single grocery item from a different site? Um, and uh, I, I mean, I think the biggest challenge for brands as a whole right now is that they're really kind of the the middleman between uh, these e-commerce platforms and the manufacturers. And so, uh, again, some of the people I, I talked to for, the, for this uh, pointed to Harry's, that razor company that has its own factory, and saying that, like, you know, when you control the manufacturing, you have a little more uh, – I don't know, safety, I guess. You're uh, against somebody, one of those e-commerce platforms, just sort of cutting you out by going directly to the manufacturers. And so I wonder whether we're going to start to see these big CBG companies acquiring more of the direct-to-consumer brands that control the manufacturing just as a way to sort of protect themselves from being cut out uh, of the middle part of this. But they also, they're also manufacturing third-party goods for Amazon in all likelihood. So uh, I guess, I mean, they, it's, it's sort of incognito, but, but the, they'll, they'll always have that. So, so let's go back to the consumer perspective. You know, most of us talking about this, listening to this, uh, we don't work at Amazon. We don't run a reseller. I'm curious what, what you learned for yourself, uh, you know, did reporting on this story, change the way I'm sure I'm sure like most humans you buy stuff through Amazon you do your comparison shopping on there uh, has it changed uh, how you look at these products and the pros and cons and kind of the reality of what you're looking at um well I mean now that I know that 
you know, a lot of these private label brands are being made in the same uh, factories, in the same manufacturers. Uh, I'm certainly more likely, I guess, to, to give the private labels a shot. Uh, I mean, and especially like when it comes down to price, I mean, that's kind of, uh, if, if I order groceries through Amazon Fresh and I feel like I get a lot of those happy belly <laughs> products like cheese and, and eggs and stuff because they are cheaper than, than everything else. Um, and even uh, price is uh, Amazon has always sort of that's one of their their three goals: price, selection, convenience. But that, according to the Gartner study, anyway, has guided uh, a lot of their uh, product development efforts with these private labels, and they're focusing on household goods where um, price matters more than brand name. And so, I mean, even one of the third party sellers I talked to mentioned, you know, like you're not likely to care that much about, uh, like, say, a spatula, like what what brand name spatula you're getting. You're you're looking for, uh, you know, the best price that you can get on a spatula. And so that's why he has sort of catered his own product assortment accordingly. And he's looking at items where uh, price is less of a consideration, uh, which I, I thought was interesting. Well, any thoughts on where you see Amazon going with all this? Like if, if based on, you know, Bezos and the other comments they've made about their earnings, but is, is private label going to be a big part of their business strategy, their growth strategy moving forward? Or is it just going to always be something they're like, well, you know, it doesn't hurt. Squeeze the extra dollars. <laughs> um, I mean, they like they, they repeated that 1% figure over and over and over again. I feel like they're downplaying a little bit. But, you know, Gartner said that, uh, you know, consumers trust Amazon and this is potentially a gold mine. The margins are so much higher. Uh, so, yeah, they, they definitely expect to see more of these private label products. And even if you look, there was a chart in that study and it was like, you know, in, in I think it was 2007, 2009, there's like one, one label and then another label. And then from like 2009 to 2014, nothing. And then I feel like 2015, it was just like, you know, 118 <laughs> labels came out in all of these different categories. So there's definitely been more of a push lately. Uh, and, and I think, yeah, I think we'll, we'll certainly see m- there more to come. Uh, I mean, some of them may not stick around forever if that marketplace pulse study was right. But, um, but yeah, for now, I think they're, they got the data. <laughs> they, they're, not, uh, they're not just uh, throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And, and so, yeah, I, w- I would definitely expect to see more. All right. Well, Lisa Lacey, staff writer at Adweek, uh, thank you so much. And I encourage everyone to check out Lisa's uh, cover story in Adweek this week. It's online. Uh, and a great read on how Amazon is tackling private label, what it means for brands, what it means for you as a consumer uh, who might shop there. And uh, yeah, really fun read. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for making time for us. Oh, no. Thanks for having me back. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by me, David Greiner, with production assistance from Nick Gardner uh, and edited by Lane McGibney. Uh, You can reach us at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. And we will be back next week. Hey there. Are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? 
Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.